Our scripture uh, today is from Luke chapter 10, and we will read together verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Hear the word of God. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're uh, just joining us this morning, or if um, you haven't been for a little while, a reminder that we are in this um, series on gratitude. And one of the things that has struck me as we've gone through this series is that gratitude takes time. Takes time. And I wonder if you feel like you have any time for gratitude, <laughs> or if you feel like you're too busy, like your plate is too full, like, like you're living with just kind of this low-grade fatigue and anxiety that never goes away. Um, you know, this time of year especially, life can feel really full and, and a little frantic between our jobs and our schools and our families and, and getting kids where they need to be for their activities, and, and then, gosh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, isn't it? And then, and then right around the corner, at, at the next corner is Christmas, and there's just so much to do, so many preparations to be made. And then don't forget about your discipleship to Jesus. Uh, you're reading, and you're praying, and you're going to church, and then your pastor tells you one Sunday morning that you need to practice hospitality, and so... You might want to add that to your list of things to do. And with life so full, is there any space for gratitude? With so much clamoring for our attention, is there any hope of cultivating a grateful heart? Gratitude takes time. John Ortberg, uh, he's a pastor and writer out in California. He was mentored by Dallas Willard for like, at least a couple of decades, and he shares a story about calling up Dallas Willard one day to ask for some spiritual direction, and, and so he describes for Willard like kind of what his life looks like and all the important things he's doing and how busy he is and how full his life is with ministry and service, but he also shares like just this sense he has that something is wrong. <laughs> you know, this isn't this isn't what his life is supposed to look like. And he asks Dallas Willard, so like, what do I do? Tell me what I need to do. And, and as he shares the story, there's this long silence. Apparently there, there was always a long silence with Willard when you asked him something, just a long silence. And then he heard Dallas Willard say this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then there was another long pause, awkward pause, and Ortberg 
getting a little impatient, said, okay, that's great. I've written that down. So what else? <laughs> and then there was another long pause. And Willard said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let's look at this passage again. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So, so right away, Luke is giving us some important information about Martha. Um, we talked about hospitality last week. Martha is welcoming Jesus. She's showing him hospitality. She's receiving him. And so it looks like Martha is someone who loves Jesus. At least that's her intention, to love Jesus. And, and so she gets to serving Jesus right away. Um, at least it's her intention to serve Jesus. When Martha addresses Jesus, she addresses him as Lord. And, and that's an indication maybe that she sees something of his true identity. She trusts it. At least it's her intention to trust it. The way I read this, Martha loves Jesus. She's serving Jesus. She's confessing Jesus as Lord. She loves Jesus. And it looks like Jesus loves her. There's just a little clue here. I mean, or, I mean for one thing, Jesus is going to her house. Um, notice in, that in verse um, 38, it's all the disciples who are on their way with Jesus. But then it looks like maybe Jesus turns aside to make his own special trip to visit Martha's house. So, so it seems like this is maybe a family that Jesus knows and cares for. And then also notice in verse 41, when Jesus addresses Martha, he repeats her name, Martha, Martha. And in Semitic languages, when you double a word like that, uh, it serves to magnify and to intensify the word. And, and, and so Martha, Martha is showing us that Jesus cares, that, that he loves her, that he, even though his words for her will be corrective, they're not coming from a place of like exasperation. They're coming from a place of compassion. So Martha loves Jesus. Jesus loves Martha. But I wonder if Martha has a grateful heart. Uh, she was busy, wasn't she? She was busy with what? Much serving. Much serving sounds like a really good thing. Much serving sounds like the work of love, right? Uh, much serving sounds like it could open up all kinds of opportunities to experience gratitude, and even to lead others to experience gratitude as they're receiving love and receiving service. But here, Luke tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving, which might sound surprising because who was she serving? Who's she serving? Jesus. She's serving Jesus. She's preparing a meal for him. She's getting the table set. She's hustling and bustling back and forth, doing all the things that a host is expected to do, and she's doing it all for Jesus, but you can actually be distracted from Jesus by serving Jesus. You can be distracted from Jesus by serving Jesus. Um, busyness in serving Jesus can be a distraction from Jesus himself. And if that's true for busyness serving Jesus, how much more true is that for busyness in general? Gratitude takes time. It requires space and room. Is Martha grateful? The words that Jesus uses to describe her are anxious, troubled. 
And I wonder, what about you and me? What words would Jesus use to describe your soul? Is there room in our crowded lives for gratitude? Christine Pohl, uh, she's an author and a teacher. She writes this. She says, gratitude and wonder are squeezed out when our lives are packed full with busyness and responsibilities. There is simply no room, no time to notice. We experience God's gifts when we pause long enough to notice them. Gratitude takes time. It's like maybe a grateful heart is a slow heart, an unhurried heart, a heart from which hurry has been ruthlessly eliminated. Luke tells us less about Mary than he does about Martha, but what he tells us is significant. Look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's what we learn about Mary. So while Martha is frantic and frenzied and hustling and bustling about, Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, Um, which to our ears might sound like really rude. (laughs) Maybe we can identify a little bit with Martha's complaint. Like here she is preparing a meal, like being a good host, and she looks over and there's her sister just sitting. But in Jesus' days, sitting at someone's feet, this was actually like a classic expression of discipleship. If you're a disciple, that's what you do. You sit at the feet of your rabbi. Uh, If you're a man, it was unheard of for Jewish women to sit at the feet of rabbis. What did they do? Rabbi comes into town. He comes to a home where he and his disciples can, um, can be fed and where he can teach them. All the male disciples gather at his feet. And what do the women do? In a patriarchal society, what do they do? They do what? They, they pull a Martha, right? They, they, they get busy serving and, and preparing the food. Um, but not Mary. Mary just assumes the position of a disciple, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. Her attention is undivided. Like She's not distracted. She's not anxious. She's not troubled. And I wonder, what about you and me? Like, are we content to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen? Do we even have time for that? Gratitude takes time. And Mary is putting herself in a position to cultivate gratitude. She's putting, she's putting herself in a position where, she, where she's likely to receive all kinds of good gifts. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is a place where you're likely to receive all kinds of good gifts. I wonder, when's the last time you sat at the feet of Jesus long enough for the near constant clamoring of your soul to calm down, to be quiet, to be still, to listen. Martha had a pretty clear agenda, um, serve and host Jesus properly. And often, I don't think we ever get past that with God. Uh, Our own agendas what we want from him, what we need to do in order to get what we want from him. 
And the result is distraction and anxiety and being troubled by many things. The result is a kind of busyness of soul. And all the while, there is this invitation from Jesus to sit at his feet, to stop, to be quiet, and to listen. It's not productive. It doesn't accomplish anything. Others might think, what a waste of time. (laughs) Jesus, tell her to get up. Tell her to do something. But I wonder if that's where the grateful heart is cultivated. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Like if you were asked, like, what are all the super important things, all the necessary things you have to get done today? You could probably come up with a really long list. And Jesus says, one thing is necessary. He's talking to Martha in love. I think Jesus sees clearly that swirling around among all uh, the other concerns of Martha's heart is a real desire to please Jesus by serving him. But what Jesus wants Martha to see, I think, is that that is not the necessary thing. The one necessary thing is not to please Jesus by serving him. What Martha can do for Jesus is not the necessary thing. Jesus is saying, Martha, there is a better portion than the meal you prepare for me. Uh, There's a better gift than you hosting me. Uh, There's a better welcome than you're receiving me. And and what is it? It's, It's the meal that Jesus prepares for us. It's the grace of his word. It's the hospitality of God. It's being radically welcomed by this one who knows us and loves us. It's the gift Um, of abiding in the good vine, as John says. So like, how do you love God? How do you welcome him? How do you receive him? Jesus is showing us that the way to welcome him is, is to like welcome his welcome of you. The way to receive him is to trust that he receives you. The way to, to show God hospitality is to stop anxiously trying to accomplish things for him and maybe to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life and to join Mary at his feet. Tom Schmidt, who, um, I actually don't know who this is, but I came across this story and I thought, oh, I should share this story. Um, This is what he writes. This is long, but it's like, It's only like five pages long. (laughs) He says, the state-run convalescent home is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile, helpless, and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest days, it seems dark inside and smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to 
and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking for a few who were alive to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts, looking completely helpless. As I neared the hallway's end, I saw an old woman in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. One side of her face was eaten away by cancer. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later when nurses arrived, excuse me, I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in that place. I learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than others I saw in that hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you, happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke and much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see, you know, I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair and Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That's when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned about her history. She had grown up on a small farm and she, that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent home. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches and stomach aches, and then cancer. Her, th her three roommates screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedcloths, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words were usually an offer of candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I read to her from the Bible, and when I would pause, she'd continue reciting the passage from memory. Other days, I took a book of hymns and sang with her, and she knew all the words of old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely memory exercises. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 directions at once with all of the things that I had to think about. Maybe he was distracted with much serving and troubled and anxious. The question occurred to me, 
What does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week? So I went to her and asked Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been so good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those people who's mostly satisfied because I have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. And Tom Schmidt writes, this is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know, I knew her. Gratitude takes time. Um, you know, sometimes the unhurried life is forced upon us, as it was in Mabel's case. But you know this, that even when your physical circumstances force you to slow down, uh, your soul can still be clamoring and your heart can still be hurried. And so it's like Mabel, just like Mary, was responding to this invitation from Jesus to come sit at his feet. And, and it's like Mabel just kept doing that day after day for, what, 25 years. And the result? What's the result? Well, it's, it's another answer to George Herbert's prayer, who, remember, asked for this. Thou who has given so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases me, as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. Jesus May that be true of us. For we ask in your name. Amen.